0: Hello and welcome to Red Shirts, a podcast about Star Trek. I'm your host Jake Donaldson and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts Maddie the good and the bad church house and Nathan the ugly Thomas. Without further ado, let's engage! so good. Is that meant to be the good, the bad and the ugly song? Yeah, it's the ecstasy of gold. Listeners, we haven't gone mad. The reason that we are doing all of these Western uh, themes is because this week we are looking at Uh, an episode that I'd forgotten how much I loved from Star Trek The Next Generation, A Fistful of Datas, (laughs) which is the one where they get stuck in a holodeck program set in the Wild West. And it's great. And all the
1: NPCs (laughs) are data. Yes, all of
0: them. Uh, I'm very excited for it. So um, before we get too far into it, Nathan, do you want to describe the plot of A Fistful of Datas for us?
2: I would love. Love.
0: To the plot <laughs> this it's so good. It's my favourite one so far, I think.
2: Yeah, well, we'll get into it. Uh, so, the Enterprise's next mission has been delayed, so the crew is working on personal projects. For Geordian Data, this means seeing if they can get the ship's systems to run through the Android. For Beverly, this is putting on a play. Worf is planning security drills, performing maintenance. Sean uh, Luke, whose personal project is being interrupted by his crew, um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, tells him, go enjoy yourself. Stop finding uh, an excuse to work. Alexander is excited to see Wolf return, and Wolf is disgruntled to be put in a cowboy hat. Turns out he was trying to avoid work because this specific game seems to irritate him. <laughs> Once the titles have run, we see uh, Wolf and Alexander in Deadwood, 19th century Earth. Alexander has put his father in the sheriff role. Data and Georgie discuss the letters. Uh, the, the, the letters? Okay. Data and Jordan discuss the latter's attempt to grow a beard as they begin the experimentation with Data. Meanwhile, on the holodeck, a prostitute appears, uh, uh, added by Mr. Barclay, who Worf promises to have a word with later. <laughs> the two hear a gunshot, and Alexander introduces the villain. Wolf goes to apprehend him. He does so extremely easily, which annoys, uh, annoys Alexander, so he increases the difficulty and resets the program. This time, the fight is much more ten- tense, but Wolf still defeats the brawl with... Um, only a little bit of difficulty. And he's beginning to see the appeal of this. Um, <laughs> uh, but the bad guy is about to fire at Worf when uh, Troy, of all people, shoots his head off and forces him to surrender. In engineering, Dato experiences a brief surge and shuts down the connection. He, appears, uh, he begins to act in a vaguely Wild West fashion with his tricorder. In the, uh, in the prison, Worf and Alexander talk to the prisoner, who seems to think he won't be around much longer. Troy gets into a part uh, pa, which aggravates Worf because he'd like a sensible conversation with her. And uh, he asks Alexander to get money, and a woman comes in and slaps him to Troy's amusement. <laughs> Elsewhere, Picard is enjoying classical music when it suddenly changes. Crusher finds that uh, Data's poetry has ended up overwriting her play script. Geordie and Data begin an analysis of the problem which they suspect is caused by their experiment because, you know, what else would it cause by be caused by? <laughs> Uh, Back on the the holodeck, some of the bad guys kidnap Alexander. He objects, now is not the time for his kidnapping. He cannot freeze the program, but uh, Data appears to be playing the bad guy. The real Data seems to struggle with getting Spot to behave, and is spouting random Wild West uh, dialogue at him. Uh, Wolf walks into the saloon, struggling to find Alexander. Mr. Hollander, which is to say the data of uh, who is the villain, appears at the bar. Demanding his son, the prisoner from earlier, Wolf realises he has kidnapped Alexander and runs back to the prison. Wolf and Troy uh, reunite, but cannot end the programme. The safeties are disengaged, so uh, this seems bad. Uh, The prisoner in the jail now looks like data. Wolf and Troy decide to play out the programme and get it to end. Geordi and Data discuss the situation with Picard. The computer library has grabbed a bunch of Data's information and he is acting like a person from the uh, Wild West. On the holodeck, uh, Wolf begins to formulate a plan and Troy observes that the characters in the holodeck are taking Data's abilities as well as his appearance, making them hard to defeat. At this point, Hollander enters, removes his entrance, enter, uh, his weapon and talks to his son and they agree a prisoner exchange. Geordian Data realise that Data had his parts of memories replaced with the Wild West programme, while the computer has bits of his memory, so if they just purge all of this, should restore everything. Uh, Troy and Worf plan out their prisoner exchange, assuming that Hollander will break his word. Worf and Troy rig up something with the communicator, and Worf approaches the meeting. As the prisoner exchange begins, it seems that every bad guy has the appearance of Data. Worf activates his force field, knowing that he can't dodge the shots. Troy disables one opponent... Um, and a henchman throws a new gun to Hollander, um, but Worf shoots the gun from his hand. Worf tells Hollander not to show his face in this town again. (laughs) The program doesn't end, though. Seems like the lady from before, now with Data's face, would like to uh, um, show his appreciation. Computer, end program! End end program! Worf manages to get it to end just in time. In their quarters, Alexander assumes Wolf won't want to go play that game with him again after everything that happened. Wolf says that um, Deadwood might Deadwood might need a sheriff one day, and the sheriff needs his deputy. Wolf adorably plays with the cowboy hat before the episode ends with beautiful scenic space shots.
0: Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love this episode. I was watching it and I I hadn't seen it in ages and I forgot how much I really enjoy watching it because it's just fun.
1: I thought it was going to be bad because everyone's told me that it's like a funny but bad episode, but it's actually excellent. It's fun. Yeah, it's a solid episode. It. This is dire-
0: the
2: kind of Star Trek episode that I think I appreciate more now we've done this podcast because I I didn't not like this episode. <laughs> when I first watched it, but I was kind of like, ah, oh, that's Like, I won't read, like, for a funny, um, data, like, a very silly, data sort of episode. Yeah. Um, I prefer, you know that one where he becomes, like, the sun god? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, what? <laughs> They take on an alien artifact, Data starts believing he's the sun god, and Picard has to put a mask on to trick him that he's the moon and can chase him away. Okay,
1: that's um, amazing. <laughs> that is amazing.
2: Like, like, that's what I remember as the silly episode featuring Data. But now I've watched this, I'm like, oh, this is much more in keeping with the silliness of past and future Trek, so I appreciate it a lot more. Like, you know what I mean? This has the feel of some of the sillier bits of card and discovery and the sillier bits of TOS yeah, yeah
0: it definitely, definitely has a TOS vibe to it yeah
2: whereas like the the sun god one is a very TNG kind of idiocy like
0: yeah like I feel like also this has a bit more of a, a TOS vibe than say the Dixon Hill episodes where it's the same sort of similar plot line. it's a you know it, it it's a holodeck story but like where they go to an old fashioned place from British history or from uh, world history, earth history. And, but like that still feels sort of very TNG ish. Whereas this sort of felt like it could be, they've gone to a planet that's like the old West in TOS. And then they have a a shootout, like the okay corral type thing. Um, but yeah, I, I I really loved the episode. Also directed by Patrick Stewart, P. Stewart, which
1: is great. Um, it makes me yeah. sad that like Discovery, I think just because it's only got thirteen episodes a series and has actually has like a massive budget for special effects and to do cool fight scenes and battles and things, they don't have the time to just fill fucking around with goofy <laughs> episodes where people get stuck in the holo program just yeah, just for the shits and gigs and i really miss that because it's such like, a low stakes
2: i, I think warm, uh, it, fuzzy it episode. what i have in life in general is there are no correct answers only compromises like you can you can do something that will have more pros than cons but there are always the you know like you know Exercising more is healthy for me, but then I've got less time in the day to do other things that are also good for me. Like, you know what I mean? And I think this is something that people don't appreciate about moving away from episodic television to the tight streaming things. Because I think a lot of people just think the streaming of things like Discovery, where you get a whole series at once and they're all one cohesive plot that you keep continuously watching and they don't have to be beholden to the idea that you might not have seen the last episode, yeah. that's the big reason episodic television is the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you want to be able to recap everything important quickly enough that people who missed an episode can't see it. Yeah. But you lose episodes like this, which are just fun, conceptual episodes in that kind of tight single narrative scripting.
0: Yeah, I think like you only really get that sort of episodic thing these days in like sitcoms, especially American ones, where like
2: some anime does it like
0: that. I, I wouldn't know because I'm uh, much too cool for that. Yeah uh, right. But... <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> but like yeah, but but I think you're right when you say like d- drama and uh, and sort of more serious TV doesn't really do the like kind of bottle episodes or the filler episodes or anything like that anymore and you only really get that in sitcom because it's designed to be able to be something that you just stumble across on tv while you're skipping through channels it's not designed as like some focal point of uh, of a streaming services uh, like plan that month or whatever um whereas stuff now is made so that you watch it all in one long go and it, so it all has to follow on from each other
1: but just imagine if you were flipping channels and you were like oh here's that star trek that i've been hearing about what's going on today and then you just they're just like having a shootout in like you know tombstone arizona and then like five different versions of the same guy are like popping up from
0: behind <laughs> buildings
1: i'd just be like what what is this sci-fi or not like what is going on it's so well funny. there's
0: a there's a good story about the the about this episode where um, after it had been made, um, uh, Peace Stew was at home and he was flicking through the telly, and he came across an episode of the British sitcom uh, Red Dwarf, right, which is a, a sitcom set in space. For listeners who don't know, um, that is sort of takes the piss out of sci-fi and kind of. Makes fun of Star Trek a little bit. And they did an episode, I can't remember the name of it, but it is sort of a similar kind of plot to this, um, where they go back in time and someone gets recreated a bunch of times in all these different characters. And Patrick Stewart didn't realise it was a sitcom at first. He thought it was like a serious drama. And he was just about to ring his lawyers to say <laughs> they've stolen the plot of A Fistful of Datas. And then... He, he kept watching it realized it was a, it was a sitcom and it was meant to be funny and then he said that he really enjoyed it from that point on and <laughs> he found it really funny
1: how <laughs> dare have a have an episode called fistful of daters and then be like ringing his lawyer like i'm sorry uh, uh. <laughs> some plagiarism. i think you'll find that your spaghetti western has plagiarized my spaghetti western that plagiarized eno morricone's spaghetti western like
0: what
1: <laughs> like come on <laughs>
0: It was Sergio like Leone, by the way, not any of Morricone. Yeah, he's Morricone a did the music. Yeah.
1: My bad, but yes. I like. Um, oh, what was I going to say? I like.
2: I really like the way Patrick Stewart and Patrick Stewart, and Brent Spiner, are both able to laugh at themselves at each other in a really fun way. Yes. Yeah. Um, like the, the, the impression Brent Spiner does of Patrick Stewart.
0: Himself, <laughs> you know? We've mentioned that so many times on this podcast. I think at some point we're going to have to rip the audio and, and put it in because it, it is so good.
1: Oh, well, yeah. Speaking of, you know, date Brent Spiner doing impressions, his accents in this episode were just the right side of dreadful so that they would yeah. be really entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I love that they were just you know he's just one of them is the 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 slimy guy Eli Hollander who's stuck in jail has got like a really a really deep draw like wah, my paws going to come and shoot you up yeah. wah, wah. and it's like oh it's just oh it's awful it's so disgusting and <laughs> but it's so much fun you can tell he's having like such a good time like when I mean, he appears and he's chewing on that bit of grass and he's just like ah, 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 ah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite bits is when um, when the real data back on the enterprise has started like exhibiting bits oh, of the saying. the western Howdy uh, yeah, and like there's the bit where they they realise that that's what's happening in the ready room, and then. Uh, Picard sends them away to engineering for Geordi to go and fix it and Data walks out of the room doing like a mosey. A
1: swagger and yeah. like
0: he's, he's sort of like moseying about and then he like, like spits a typical into a plant plot from and it
1: said with his arms like sweat,
0: sweat, <laughs> sweat. <laughs> But it's really I, I I love that as a touch that that kind of yeah, it's Brent Spiner's fun. acting in Brent, it. Is Brent great. Spiner
2: has a lot like Prince Finder can throw himself into the ridiculous. It's like, you know, when he's playing that woman at the end, and he's just like, (laughs) hello! It's like, oh, I entirely believe in this. I I just (laughs) want to point out that uh, one of the best memes to come out of this episode that I've ever seen, picture on the internet, it's Data as Hollander at the end, where he's, like, just shooting, and he's got his arms like Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. and someone's captured it with if you will forgive my human metaphor, Lieutenant, it appears that this town does not have enough capacity for both of our respective attendances. <laughs> 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 oh, that's quite good. That's
0: great. <laughs> um, while we're talking about, um, uh, about P. Stewart and his directing on this episode, um, I was reading a, a, an interview with him. Well, it's a transcription of one of the interviews he gave in the special features of, uh, of the, the DVDs. And he was describing what it was like to to direct on on because this was shot if 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 anyone who who's listening hasn't seen it it it's all shot like Mm -hmm. in a real uh warner brothers western studio so it's like um it's on a lot in warner brothers studios that has been used for genuine real western films and it's meant it looks really good the production value is great and all the costumes great and patrick stewart was saying that when he was filming it they got to film on this set and he had the biggest crane in hollywood that he could sit on to be able to oversee everything from above and he sat next to the cameraman on the crane and and he made someone go out and find him a megaphone so that when he was directing he could sit on this big crane and shout action through a megaphone um because he wanted to the experience of doing that in a Warner Brothers studio in an old Western set because he thought it made him look cool. And it was like a one in a, in a lifetime chance. And he still s- says that like directing this episode is one of the best things he's ever done and the most fun he's ever had in his career. Yeah.
2: I mean, this whole episode is a lesson in, um... How not to do basic computer safety, I've just realized. Like, what they're doing is uh, plugging an unknown flash drive into their, into their <laughs> <sixth> computer <laughs> car. That's what
0: they're doing. Yeah. And, like, Geordie comes and pulls it out of Data's head at one point, And it's like, there's no, like, safe ejection procedure or anything like that. Like, it's the one thing that you learn when you start working at, at a company that has a basic tech, co- uh, like, IT department is that you, you have to. Yeah. Press the eject button on your cyber security essentials. Getting cyber
2: security essentials, cyber security yeah.
0: essentials. Yeah, exactly. Cyber security essentials plus. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wonder. I wonder how the. Uh, I wonder how the the enterprise would cope if it got like ISO inspections. Do you think it would oh pass? No. I, don't, I mean, I don't.
2: I, I'm sure that's an episode of TNG. <laughs> That's the kind of shit <laughs> TNG possible. There must be an episode where, because well, there's that episode where that swarmy dickhead invested, like, is assessing yeah. Riker's, like, because he's the clip in that episode. You know the, yeah. The, we should watch that episode fairly soon, the War Game one. But yes. There must be an episode where they're like just legitimately like ISO inspecting <laughs> all their procedures because that feels a very TNG plot. Yeah. Like, because I, I love I feel... TNG, but a lot of it is people playing in concerts. And fucking around <laughs> with procedures.
0: I know it's like the, the there's definitely there's definitely an episode where like the someone comes in and has to like check whether or not the systems are all working safely, and they absolutely won't be because how many times in TNG does someone get electrocuted by a panel? Like, it happens so Oh, yeah, so and often. Everything's,
1: everything's definitely jerry-rigged, isn't it? So, like, imagine an inspector just coming around being like, no, no, putting up sign there, <laughs> no, this corridor's blocked. no, this can't use this, no, this this has failed, this has failed being fractured. You know, like, when someone comes and does all the pack testing on, like, all of the appliances at work, like the cooker yeah. and the microwave <laughs> and the kettle and has to put the stickers on saying when they've last been tested, just slapping those over all of the, like, Jeffrey's tubes and things so that no one can, <laughs> can use you anything. Even-
0: can you imagine trying to pat test the enterprise nothing would pass the <laughs> tests because so everything short circuits and, and and you get their favorite blue electricity special effects just go
1: past Link. data and slap one of the stickers on his forehead
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, do you think data has no. to get pat tested
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i reckon he does if it if the I enterprise is
2: british until he does. they would. do that trial in uh...
1: And oh
0: they're yeah. They're, oh. They're,
2: once they've done that trial, he's not. He doesn't. It's it's then a medical examination. Oh. He has yeah. It's the exact same procedure, but it's a medical examination. Not that test. test. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, do you think it's still done by the health and safety inspector? Though he just puts on a white coat and has a stethoscope to make data feel yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this episode is so much fun. It's just really warm and fluffy and. There's there's some great comedy moments. And there is also, to my amazement and delight, the first and only time ever that Councillor Troy has ever, ever done anything useful <laughs> and actually been good. And not even at her job, just, like, generally useful. I'm like, why has she been hanging around being a shit counsellor for so long when all we needed to do was make her a mysterious stranger armed with a rifle? Then she's actually yeah. really helpful and, I, and, and can, like, you know... Shoot people <laughs> and do backup, and, and you know, so, like she's actually
0: a really good shot with the yeah. rifle because there's that scene where she shoots a guy's hat yeah. off. Yeah, it's like you know. i so, um,
2: fucking around with the we can't sword fight here.
1: Yeah, it confirms like, yeah. our headcanon that she's not actually a counsellor, you know, she's like the other form of counsellor. <laughs> she, she, She's actually doesn't have a counselling license, she just has like a pigeon, clay pigeon shooting license, and uh, that's what she was putting to use when she in this episode. Yeah, it was nice to see her actually be useful for once.
0: Yeah, I know. I thought she was quite good in this episode. Yeah. I thought... Like... And she
1: had a great accent as well when she comes in, and she's totally in oh, character. Yeah. yeah. M-
0: speaking... Speaking of accents, can we talk about the um, the overtones of racism uh, in this episode? From the Mexican, oh, the, yeah. oh, the, the Mexican comedy Mexican, who's, Mexican
1: sidekick who just stands around going,
0: <laughs> who I checked on uh, on IMDb and his character name is Bandito. Oh great! Uh, so oh
1: god! That's well, it's the level that is very in line with the you know the good, the bad, and the ugly, isn't it? You know. <laughs> just like oh the good the bad oh and the mexican guy he's just the ugly one
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so for listeners who aren't aware there's the sort of the main bad guys in this Uh, one of them is is this sort of like comedy mexican henchman who's got like a big sombrero and a handlebar mustache and he talks in this over-the-top mexican voice where he says things like um you're a very funny man or something like that like <laughs> yeah. it, it's ridiculous
1: the
0: yeah it's very bad um but well, it's and perfectly also...
1: in keeping because like clint eastwood was like a big trump supporter and everything so that whole uh that whole genre <laughs> of film mm. famously super racist and very historically inaccurate since <laughs> most of the cowboys and stuff who lived in the old west were mexican anyway
0: what I would have liked is if the Mexican guy had been replaced by Data at some point as well so that we got to see Data like putting on a weird Mexican accent just uh, like just so we could cancel Brent Spiner and then he might be more <laughs> likely to come on our show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he is yeah, replaced we... by he is replaced by Data. Uh, the scene at the end when he slowly pops up from over the roof and Data's wearing a massive make- fake mustache.
2: Yeah, and he Oh
1: my Señor. god. Señor, this is another case of Jake the visually impaired. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek, I, you didn't realise, you didn't recognise Data in that sombrero. You just thought no, that was the same Mexican guy as before. That's
0: amazing. No, for all I know, that was Tasha Yar again. Okay, like, right, Jake. I, I, I need
1: to explain to you that there's something, that the visual gag of this episode, right? Because clearly it's gone past you and you just think this is an episode about <laughs> Worf and Alexander being in the Wild West, right? <laughs> the point of this episode is that all of the NPCs are Data. Yes, that was also Data. The guy with the moustache, that was Data. The woman at the end in drag—that was Data. I know you yeah, didn't notice yeah. any of that.
0: <laughs> I noticed them. I didn't realise all of them had turned into Data. I didn't notice that the Mexican guy turned into Data. I thought it was just like a handful of them, like, like <laughs> the title ball. of this, the episode suggests.
1: Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, wouldn't it be great if Deanna Troy was Cockney and she was like, great. "All right, geezer. <laughs> yeah, just gotta go do some counselling, mate. Right, yeah." <laughs>
0: Do you think she's a counsellor in like a sort of like an East End version of a counsellor who's like like he's just like a fixer for the for the mob or something. Like he, she, she works for the Cray Twins and like they call her a counsellor, but like she's the, the therapy that she delivers therapy. is actually done with a hammer. Oh,
1: yeah. oh, like, I think you need a little tap to the head, mate. I'll just be my therapist. <laughs> Bang. I would love that <laughs> if it turned out she was like
0: th- secretly a character from a Guy Ritchie film <laughs> I would love to watch a Guy Ritchie version of Star Trek a Guy Ritchie version of Star Trek would be brilliant lock stock in two smoking phasers <laughs> oh,
2: well Star Trek 2009 um, <laughs> that was just that was a cheap gag. I don't even believe, but it was there. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, uh, one of my favourite bits in this episode was um, uh, there's a brilliant self-aware Patrick Stewart joke in it, where um, when Gates McFadden asks him to asks Picard to be in the play, uh, and he says that he doesn't want to do it, and then there's a yeah. there's a, a shot of where it's just patrick stewart looking directly into the camera and he says something along the lines of uh but to be honest i'm not uh, i'm not really a natural actor or something like that and he makes a comment about (laughs) being a bad actor and but it's like so self-aware that patrick stewart's doing it (laughs) yeah
1: yeah,
2: Patrick Stewart knows what he's what
0: he's about in that scene
1: that yeah. scene is, is is actually really really comedy gold where he's just trying to play he's his stupid little stuff. recorder <laughs> <laughs> and then every time he starts he's like computer begin from the first movement do, 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 do. Yes come in and he's like getting increasingly increasingly ragey until the time when Worf interrupts him not even like two bars into the music he's just like what is it? <laughs> It yeah. Was very entertaining.
2: Yes, come. Yeah, no, Mister Warford's fine. <laughs> it's like, <fine. laughs>
1: what was the name of the play that Crusher was trying to get him to breakfast? To be a bit part in.
0: It was called Breakfast.
1: Something, something yeah, about it was called
2: Breakfast something.
1: Yeah, there, something like about Breakfast. Stuff. I find I think it's hilarious that she said that she she really tries to persuade him just to have this this two line role where he's just playing the butler, and then obviously Riker is seems to be in the lead the the lead role, yes. he's the protagonist of the play, and he's doing all these Shakespearean monologues and then Imagine Picard just coming in, being like, some tea, sir, and then leaving, <laughs> and that's the only thing that he does.
2: One of my favourite recurring jokes in all of TNG is Doctor Crusher would like you to perform in her play. Because <laughs> it's it's like constantly like Doctor Crusher, I'd like you to perform at the play. And CDS staff member. No, I don't want to act. And the one, the one person that's into it, Riker. There's a whole episode devoted to to him getting into like some psycho crisis because an alien takes over the planet <laughs> um, or some shit. Like I can't remember the plot exactly, but it's like, oh yeah, no, obviously,
1: it sounds like a very boring play. Something for breakfast. I can only hope that it's actually. You know something like that, actually very witty and entertaining. Wouldn't it be great if they all did like the real Inspector Hound or something
0: like that? <laughs> and
1: maybe Patrick Stewart's role as the butler at the end is just someone's like, The butler did it, and then rip off a lampshade and he's standing underneath it, and then they have to like chase him around the audience.
0: Um, the importance of being earnest and have, <gasps> have... oh, that would be fabulous. Well, I I think um, Stew would be a really good Lady Bracknell, yeah. <laughs> 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 handbag
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the name of the the lead character that's played by uh, Rupert Everett in the old film?
0: Uh, Ernest. <laughs> uh,
1: oh. Uh, yeah, I mean that's what he pretends. Yeah, to be. I
2: can't remember
1: yeah. his name. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Damn it.
0: Lady Bracknell's the only one whose name I can never remember.
1: Oh for God's sake. Algernon. 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 Who would play Algernon? Because I think Data would be hilarious as Algernon. Yeah, he'd just be totally, totally ill cast in the role, and it would be excellent.
2: Yeah, but he'd try really hard.
1: He would. Have we watched the?
2: Is this one that I've watched, or is this um, an episode we've watched together where, um, uh, like, Card is like watching Data perform Shakespeare and, and giving him advice? No, like, I haven't
1: really seen huge... that one.
2: Yeah, there's a really cute like thing where like Data's trying to learn Shakespeare to try and like understand the humanity behind it and Picard is like watching and giving him common stuff.
1: Oh. I find that really like, funny, given that Shakespeare probably wrote most of those plays while he was high off his tits and he was just like plagiarizing directly from an Italian copy that he had open on his desk <laughs> and was like, Well, just add in a fucking bear <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: But that's what literally every playwright does. Like, like,
0: yeah, every every yeah. script I write is just directly stolen from...
2: No, but every, <laughs> a lot of the playwrights of the period did, did that kind of thing. It was... Uh, origi- right, you've got me started <laughs> now. Originality in writing is only a relatively new thing. I'm it not was actually go, thought either. better. I write to... fan fiction. To
1: support <laughs> Shakespeare writing Italian. Yeah, but like it's, it's it's really it's
2: it's one of the things the Renaissance carries over and eventually changes. But um, medieval writing in particular, it wasn't thought a good idea to make stuff up, so you had to at least pretend you had a historical source, mm. and then that comes in the this idea in the Renaissance that everything the Greeks wrote was better, so you should you should copy something. If it's not Greek or, or Latin, you should copy something from those regions mm-hmm. because they just produce inherently better drama. Um, and like, a lot, because Shakespeare is so popular now, idiots on the internet go, "Oh, well, he never wrote anything original. They just did all of this." It's like, yes, but so did all of the other English playwrights. Shut up! <laughs> yeah, well, he did so his did, copying better. So did
1: all of everyone ever. And you know, yeah, it, it, like you know things being influenced by other things is actually how things work. And you know complaining that someone stole your idea yeah. when it is, is stupid, because actually literature obviously repeats itself with tropes and things like that. Apart from yeah, I wasn't having a go at Shakespeare <laughs> or Data, I have just like Making that. No, call. that's all true. That's I, I,
0: all true I have, I that nothing. you
2: as a straw man that, that I argue with. Yeah.
0: In
1: rather <laughs>
0: that, but, you know. It's all true that nothing's original apart from uh, this podcast, which is uh, where the only real of, proper oh, Star Trek podcast and uh, yeah. actually the other Red Shirts podcast that is made in America is, is they stole the idea from us, even though they started two years earlier than us. So, <laughs> yeah.
2: I guarantee you the other Red Shirts podcast doesn't ask every week. Uh, so who <laughs> so, in this episode suck their own
0: top. <laughs> like you know?
1: Yeah, we, exactly. We That's play... really original. Even Shakespeare didn't put that in his plays. I can tell you. Yeah, exactly. Um, We're better so than Shakespeare.
2: I... Also, their most recent episode is cute, so. um...
1: I do like that when the play gets replaced with data's poetry about Spot Riker, like the absolute maniac that he is just starts reading it, yeah. like performing it like he is performing Shakespeare. Like, no thoughts, head empty, let's go. It's nothing like the lines he was reading a moment earlier. He just starts performing it as though he's he's giving it his <laughs> all without any questions asked until Bev is like, Riker, what are you doing? Like, stop. Oh, I love that. Like it that, was very
0: The, the rehearsals for that play can't have been going very well if he didn't realise that that, that that isn't what the, the line was meant to be
1: well that does explain why when it cuts to that scene it's just bev with sitting with her head in her hands <laughs> and i mean that really says it all that really re- gives me flashbacks to being in you know in the school drama productions yeah. when you're in year nine and the english teachers getting more and more antsy and stressed trying to direct <laughs> all of these unhappy 11 year olds oh brilliant
0: um, I've got a fun fact about Alexander in this episode and um, when we first see him before they go into the holodeck, uh, he is sat playing on a sort of giant Game Boy type device um, that he's oh, yeah. fiddling with Um if you look closely the back of that Game Boy device thing that he's made, um, it, it's, it's just made of old floppy disks that have been glued really? together oh,
1: That's <laughs> hilarious Oh Alexander, that's so cute Alexander is really cute in this episode, and Worf actually does some semi decent parenting. Like he needs. I was some... going to ask
2: you what you think of Worf as Warf's parent, because this is where, like, you know, what we said before that like parenting is inconsistent. Yeah. Like, I think he's he's a much, like he's a little reluctant because he's but I always read his in, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I read his reluctance as I I won't say no to my son, but I think I'm gonna hate this program I think
1: he needs to work on his facial expressions because (laughs) when Alexander is like oh daddy daddy can we go in the holo program now and Worf is like I guess like I guess we'll have to go I'm like Worf this is not about you this is about your child's joy and his desire to bond with his father put a smile on that big greasy mug of yours and enjoy yourself you know he needs he really needs to work on, on trying a bit harder but the fact that he does go along with it and he obviously does want to spend that time with Alexander and he does want to make Alexander happy and at the end when Alexander's really disappointed and thinks they won't be able to do it anymore he says oh well you know the town may need a sheriff and a deputy again yeah. it's like oh, he is sweet he is he, yeah he's he's trying to do right by he's his little done, boy he's done some he's done some, <laughs> he's done some yeah,
2: and, and then like he, he's once he's in there as well he plays along pretty like like, he doesn't understand initially, he's, like, asking questions, like, so we are law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when the law enforcement is like, like, oh, that's the bad guy, Dad, he's immediately like, right, you have committed a crime. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: Yeah, I love he just, like, beats this guy up in front of his son as well and smashes two of the henchmen into the tables. And I was like, wow, this, this is a very Klingon... Holo, holodeck program. I don't think most 11-year-olds would go in a holodeck program with their dad and then their dad starts beating <laughs> the crap out of all of the NPCs and they're just like, yeah, go dad! It's it's a bit aggressive, but I think we also have Barkley to blame here, right? Because apparently Barkley yeah. wrote this with Alexander and decided to put some sex workers and a brothel <laughs> into the Hollow Suite that's for this 11-year-old child. I'm like, someone needs to have us. A... Barkley should at least have uh, a disciplinary hearing. A disciplinary hearing. I really think Barclay does need at least a disciplinary yeah, hearing. Yeah,
0: this I is I just another that. example of why the enterprise wouldn't pass uh, ISO <laughs> checks. And, like, they're definitely <laughs> right. Like, the enterprise definitely aren't getting an investors in people award. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I find that a bit shocking that Barclay thought that was appropriate for an 11 year old. But, oh well. Yeah, but Wolf plays along really well, and he's he, he doesn't look like he's having a good time, but he thinks well, I might as well make a go of it. But I did think it was really funny how much Troy was absolutely loving her life. <laughs> I, I didn't see that coming at all. That she's actually like a really big LARPer, but she was definitely enjoying
0: herself. <laughs> yeah, well, she she yeah. also she had all of the costume as well. Like she she just turned up wearing that stuff. So like, presume how.
2: Oh yeah, no. This is one. This is one point I'm always keen to make about like TNG. Like people are like, "Uh, like I might watch Star Trek, but at least I'm not a LARPer. Have you seen what the main hobby in the 24th century <laughs> yeah. is? It's laughing. Like it is just that is that is what a lot of my friends would do all the time.
0: I have. Uh, I have a question about the way that they survive the shootout at the end. So you know how Worf Creates this force field, personal force field to stop him from being shot by, uh, Hollander, right? He 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 creates that using some badge technology from the from their uniforms, right? But like, where where did he get the the technology from to be able to do that? Where they are, like, because they weren't wearing badges and they didn't have any like force fields.
2: They they right? I I can I think I can answer all. Of them. Um, number one, where did they get it from? I think they clearly had it on somewhere or under their costumes or something because, um, Troy is calling for cards earlier and they never, they never, like they need the thing to do that even on the enterprise. So I'm assuming that it's just somewhere Mm -hmm. hidden, which, you know, they should have shown it, but I'm assuming that's where it is. Um, and then in terms of, like, I was anticipating the question, why don't they have this? Yeah,
0: well, that was going to be my um, next question.
2: <laughs> well, I he only has to stop holographic bullets, which, you know, are still dangerous. But I assume the, the false field is, like, only acceptable for um, a certain, like, low-impact debris, and it doesn't last very long. So it can't be... You have to turn it on, and it only stops projectiles and debris, which you... So, like, if you're going into an active firefight in the Enterprise, there's no armor or force field sufficient to stop phasers that can also run at a personal level. So you don't take it in for security fights. and You don't have it for routine stuff in case, you know, a panel explodes or something and covers you in debris, because you have to turn it on, therefore you have to know it's going to happen. Because, like, he turns it on just before the fight yeah. starts. It gets shot a few... Like, six shots, and then it is done. So I'm I'm just like that's how I like resolve that little bit of logic problem. But you know, your ability to accept that
0: <laughs> bit, <laughs> No, that sort of makes sense I suppose. We've discussed personal force fields on Star Trek in the past because they yeah. in the, the animated series they have these personal force fields that seem indestructible and can save them from all sorts and then they just never get used ever again.
2: Because,
1: you know... <laughs> well, we could have had why, the Wild why? West would... Star Trek spin-off series. We could have had it, but we didn't.
0: I would have loved a Wild West Star Trek spin-off series. That was just—I would like to just watch loads well, of I, <laughs> I, I, Sheriff Ward. Not Wolf. to
2: rat on you a bit, Jake, but one of the main original ideas of DS Nine was that it was a frontier Western style of Star Trek. Yeah,
0: but it's not—not so, yeah, not yeah, not the same—not in the same way. about, it. like. It's not set in. So you wouldn't like Francisco
1: if he just was wearing a like a ten gallon. If hat? If he was St- wearing a Stetson, yeah. I'd
0: like him a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> if I thought he was the kind of character that would wear a Stetson, I'd like him more. But he's not. He's not. He's, he does. He hardly ever wears any hats.
2: Okay. Which characters in Star Trek would wear a Stetson?
0: Um. <laughs> Kirk definitely would wear a Stetson. Oh, yeah,
1: Kirk would. Yeah, Kirk's, Kirk's got
0: big like John Wayne energy. McCoy McCoy would definitely McCoy wear a Stetson. He
1: wears a Stetson just in his free time anyway. On well, in fact, what is he wearing one in that like a yes, wild he
2: disco is. outfit? <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah.
1: When he, yeah, in the film where he beams back on board and he's wearing his 70s get up. Yeah, you know what Jake, you just have to re-watch DS9 with an Instagram filter that makes them all wear cowboy hats I would while <laughs> and then you'll love it. You'll think it's a great show. I would
0: what well, not necessarily all cowboy hats. Cisco gets a, a cowboy hat, but then like all the other yeah. characters get different hats. Like I would like
1: Oh, Data's in a fez.
0: Yeah, yeah like I, if we're looking at like DS9, I would like, you know, yeah, like Jadzia Dax to be wearing like a a sort of like a, a Sherlock Holmes, a like oh, like a, a deer stalker uh, yeah. Sherlock Holmes hat.
1: Deerstalker. Uh,
0: I'd I'd put I'd put quark in like one of those things, one of those like ones with like a, a cap with a propeller on it that spins around like oh, <laughs> that <yes>. nerds wear. <laughs>
1: That's so cute. I love
2: that. Yeah.
0: Jadzia would have a fez. Yeah, Jadzia with a fez. Okay. Uh, yeah, definitely. What
1: Miles O'Brien hat.
0: Um a hard hat with two beer cans <laughs> on it. You know those beer hats <laughs> with the with the cans and the straws. Guinness. Yeah, Guin- Guinness with Guinness in it, yeah. <laughs> oh my god.
1: Oh my god. And one of them would be wearing a one of them would be wearing like a bearskin, a bearskin hat like the the palace guard yeah okay yeah and then uh, maybe julian would have that but it would be too big for him and it would keep sliding down yeah, the <laughs> yeah.
0: And that would be good and uh i'd like to put otto in um like a uh a, like a, a, a raccoon skin like davy crockett hat oh yeah i think you'd look yeah. quite good in that <laughs>
1: But we already decided that Geordie that it's Geordie Otto, so he has to wear like a black beanie.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot about Geordie Otto. Or way, yeah, it? or like a, a cap with a um like with the uh, brown ale logo on the front of it, like my dad wears. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Perfect. Great. This is we've just made the show even better.
0: <laughs> I mean, it it's testament to how we just for listeners' sake. We're we're recording this episode on a Sunday afternoon, and we normally record on a Thursday evening. And I think we can tell how tired we all are doing it on a thir- on a Sunday afternoon instead of a Thursday evening because we've we've resorted to discussing which character would wear which hat. <laughs>
1: Hang on, that's a valuable part of our show. He produces content. <laughs> oh, that the produces, hat like,
0: segment—the
1: crazy shit that goes on.
0: Are we going to introduce? <laughs> you can't keep. You can't have. Another Can we not segment? introduce the hat right, segment like, every right, episode? Right. We discuss no. what kind of hat everyone which would wear.
1: Which character is most likely to wear oh. a fez in that episode? <laughs> no, <laughs> I no, love that segment. I love this. <laughs> no, no. Well, if you do
2: have this, you've got to get rid of
0: one of the Sombrero other. Sombrero corner. Oh, That's what we'll call it.
1: Nathan is such a slave driver. Look
0: at
1: him <laughs> trying to con- be tyrant, trying to control this podcast. Oh,
2: well, there's a lot of memes. This like,
1: one?
2: There's a lot of memes that you two have come up with that have been like, "Oh, I'm going to bring this up every episode," and I'm like, "I know, but well <laughs> yeah. forget, then you forget." Do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know. Loath as I am to bring him up, sexy Vulcan and Gallagher, anyone? Sexy uh, yeah,
0: Vulcan Liam
1: shaggable Romulan Phil Collins. They
0: they they played I a key part know. in the first.
1: Can you show me?
0: <laughs> they played a key part in the first ten episodes of this podcast. <laughs> They're founding yeah. members yeah, of Red but- Shirts.
1: Now that you've reminded yeah. me, I will go away and I will rewrite the lyrics to some Genesis songs so that they are Star Trek themed, and I'll come back and you will see what I've done. Excellent. When when
0: movie. we do an episode on Star Trek Genesis, uh, we'll have oh, to include yes. some.
1: Oh my goodness! The whole episode of Star Trek Genesis is just going to be Phil yeah. Collins. Yeah,
0: we're not we're not even going to talk Collins. about the film at all. We're just going to. It's just an episode about Star Trek. Uh, Phil at Collins.
1: I can't feel Colin. <laughs> back to uh, the episode we have watched today, though. I did like the scene between Data and Geordie that I did get a bit of flirty vibes from. So I understand why some people on the internet ship them together now. When um, Geordie is saying, Oh, but you're not just another circuit, Data, and Data's like, Why, thank you. And you are not just another biological organism, Geordie. And then like, and then he's like complimenting Geordie on it. And his it feels beard. like <laughs> yeah. And then, it's then, really it cute. Feels, and then they're they about to
0: bang. Cute. Yeah, that. that. You ha- say that while while Geordie is like inserting a thing into Data's head as well, which is like, I sort know. of
1: it's it's, it's a, really gross because it's kind of like a toupee. It's a little bit Donald Trumpy when Geordie lifts the flap up at the back of his head <laughs> yeah. and all of his hair just flaps up. It's like uh. yeah. Grace me out a little bit
0: um i apparently when just talking about data's makeup and the hair and stuff um i was reading that when they were filming the scenes uh in the in the holodeck um the lot that they filmed on it was like the middle of summer and it was like obviously in hollywood it was red hot it was like one of the hottest days of the year um and they especially Data and Worf wearing all of the makeup and everything were like sweating so much that uh, they the, 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 there was apparently there's a, a rule in the Star Trek Bible, the writer's Bible, that I, that says that um, Data can never be allowed to be seen sweating so they... Ha- <laughs> so they had to bring in a special like uh, air conditioning unit just for Brent Spiner to stand next to when they weren't filming so that he wouldn't get so hot that the like the face makeup would sweat onto his uniform and stuff like that and like but they didn't have anything for Wharf so it, it, all the the all all of the qu- the quotes that i found and like the information about that happening it was just staff and crew being like oh we all felt really bad for michael dawn because he had to sit there and just (laughs) cope with being sweaty and being awful uh while brent spiner got special treatment
1: yeah but that's acting darling wolf signed up for that because i reckon (laughs) klingons are probably really sweaty in real life because they're always like fighting and roaring and things so yeah yeah half the course I reckon they like Sweat. And at least he doesn't have to go through the hours and hours of makeup that I assume Brent Spiner had to do to to become Data. I don't even want to think how long it took them to, like, paste his chest all white and shiny when he's wearing that big dress at the end (laughs) when he's in drag. I don't want to even think how long it took them to get him into that outfit. (laughs) He looks
0: brilliant. uh, Brent Spiner described himself as looking homely in that scene.
1: Homely? Oh, yeah, sure. I think... (laughs) Yeah, he's maybe not as attractive as Miss Annie was before. He's maybe not going to win RuPaul's Drag Race in terms of <laughs> face
0: game. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um,
2: I, I just really like the... Um, I don't know, this feels like I think the strongest episodes of Star Trek are the ones where everyone buys into the premise no matter how so mm-hmm. That's why the James Bond episode we watched last week yes. works. That's why this Western piece works. It's like, okay, what we're doing here is a homage to this particular genre. Of yeah. Thing, right? So we will include the, you know, like, you know, when Troy says, no, they're not going to be honorable. They're going to, they're going to. <laughs> <be true." laughs> um, like, you know, um, and, and I think it, it works really well.
0: Yeah, I think they've, they've done, and I think um, I, I read this as well on uh, Memory Alpha about the when Patrick Stewart was uh, given the job of directing this, which was actually given to someone else first, and then because of some admin, it, it went to P. Stew. And um, he, when he was, when they were filming, he would go away after each day of filming and rent two classic western movies um and then come back in the next day and he would have all these ideas for how he was going to direct certain scenes based on these films and apparently the rest of the cast all had like uh like a game where they would try and guess which films he'd watched the night before based on the type (laughs) of shots that he was suggesting and stuff but um but yeah that that shows how Uh, it it comes through that that's what the kind of thing that he did because like it is really faithful to that genre and it does it is a really well and i'm not a big fan of westerns and stuff but i've seen a a couple of them and like it does have that same sort of feel to it It doesn't feel like this is star trek doing a, a a silly version of a western it feels like a decent attempt at a western but with star trek as the backdrop to it
1: there are some like yeah, there were definitely some choices where it's noticeably something that's been done deliberate and looks silly by yeah modern day TV I standards. Like the 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 shot where they look the clock chimes and then there's a really long shot of just looking at the clock mm. chiming yes. and then it slowly fades into a different time on the clock. That really made me feel <laughs> like oh okay yes, this is definitely Patrick Stewart thinking. I'm well, I this think in there. this is.
2: I think this is like, a very unique Star Trek thing in that TOS had to do episodes like this because it had to. It had, you know, money uh, problems, it had staffing problems, the network was screwing it. But then you get TNG, which, you know, TNG was decently financed. Like, you know, it's not got the mega budget that Discovery and Card have with Star Trek being this big institution. But it has, you know, Funding equivalent to a TV program of the of the day and of the era, um, and generally speaking, when they make episodes like this that are throwing back to TOS, they're making those throwbacks deliberate. They, you know, it's a choice, not uh, not like so the actors know that their job is to do this. Like it's deliberate. It's not like oh my god, I have to, turn mm. up to do the like stupid. You know, Spock's brain. <laughs> I have it's to like, wear
1: this like lizard costume that's made out of cling film and sellotape. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I just find it interesting that the writer, um, Hewitt Wolf, Robert Hewitt Wolfe, who who wrote the script, wrote the screenplay. Uh, like, there's a quote from him here that says, "I pitched to a TNG a few times. I didn't sell anything, but Michael Piller liked my pitches enough he kept inviting me back. Finally, I came in and pitched two stories. One of which I was sure they they buy. They didn't." And another one, which I was surprised they actually did, <laughs> <laughs> and then just like, Excellent.
0: oh, yeah. Well, this is the first thing that Wolf ever wrote for Star Trek, and then like nice. off the back of this, it, well, this is the first thing that actually got made that you wrote. Um, and after the back of this, he, he ended up being a regular writer, he, he's written loads of uh, DS Nine. Um, so good so that's yeah, it 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 worked out for him, I suppose, the, this episode.
1: What a way to start your Star Trek career with a comedy episode yeah. where every everyone in the world wears data. That,
2: that he originally called the good, the bad, and the thing. Oh, so, you know.
1: Better. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It wasn't until we actually sat down to record this that it occurred to me. Like that fistful of data is a fistful of dollars for for whatever reason my brain just hadn't put those two <laughs> together. But now it's I yeah. really feel like I do want to go back and watch some spaghetti westerns.
0: Yeah, I sort of feel like that now. I've watched this as well because, like I say, I'm not.
1: Mm. No, I've never
2: watched. I never watched it. Right. Well, I'm not a West. big
0: fan of westerns, but mm. weirdly enough, before I watched this episode last night i had a saturday night on my own um and i decided to put a film on i'd not seen uh, so i watched the revenant which is sort of a modern oh God. it's like a modern western right um and it, it's really yeah. good it's a really good film um but, like, I don't normally like that kind of thing. And I was watching it, and I thought, oh, actually, I can kind of get on board with this. Maybe I should watch some more westerns. And then I watched this today, forgetting that we had this today. Um, and I watched it, and I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm going to watch loads of westerns now. So I think I'm going to go away and watch, like, The Good, The Bad, and The well, Ugly. The
2: DeForest Kelly appeared in a bunch of westerns before getting the
0: Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah, he
2: was, he's like, if you go, I, I Google like, Star Trek actors' westerns, and the first thing that comes up is DeForest Carroll's Wikipedia page, so he says he was known for his westerns in Star Trek, and if That's you look at really it, cool. early career, it's like, um, uh, you know, Raintree County,
1: uh, Gunfight huge... at the OK Corral? He's in he was that? In wow. that. He, was,
2: he was in three different versions of, of
0: that. <laughs> um, oh, I, I...
1: oh, he was in The Lone Ranger as well. I had no idea. No. No. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I really want to go back in there. Oh, maybe... oh, my goodness. I can't believe that DeForest Kelly was in Gunfight at the OK Corral. That is absolutely mind-blowing to me. I'm definitely going to go watch <laughs> that film now. That's fantastic. Well, maybe
0: next time we do a special episode um, where we watch a film with an actor from Star Trek in it, we'll watch one of DeForest Kelly's old films instead of watching a, another uh Another, another Christmas, Christmas film. film With
2: Jether with, with, uh, yeah. in it For insta- five insta- minutes insta- <laughs> Instead
0: of me getting you to watch A Hallmark Christmas special movie I might get you to watch something more exciting With divorced Kelly in it instead <laughs> Brilliant, that's fantastic
1: um,
0: We're, we're going to have to uh, wrap up shortly But w- we have to ask the important questions um, Yeah, three questions Okay
1: Number
0: 1 which character is most likely to wear a fez? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Troy. Yeah, I mean it, um, yeah, <laughs> it absolutely is. No, actually I'm going to say Data. I'm yeah, going to say it's uh wear it's uh, I'm going to say given the the sort of dashing purple silk top that he's wearing in the in this in the scene where he's rehearsing for the play, I'm going to say that it's Riker who should be wearing a fez. Yeah, agreed.
1: Um
0: Second important question: Which character is most likely to have tried to suck their own cock? Um, I I feel like it's it
1: creepy data that's in jail. Eli. Oh jail.
0: yeah, <laughs> Eli Holland does a good shout. I was going to say, even though we don't actually see him in this episode, but um, uh, the um, the one who uh, helped program the the system. Barkley. Yeah. I think Barkley, You know, he's obviously got a bit of a of a perverted, seedy side because he because of what yeah. he, he programs into the the brothel and everything. So I think he probably has as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agreed. And finally, the important Klim question. Klim, as we've discussed before, mm-hmm. is a space Karen. So the Klim question is: which character in this episode is most likely to ask to speak to the manager?
2: Uh, I've got I've got an outside offer. Oh right, this. okay. Yeah. I think Jean-Luc...
0: Oh, oh, right. oh wow. He is the manager.
2: He had a manager to yeah. speak to after every Like, when everyone's interrupted, he's like, I wish, I wish there was some goddamn person <laughs> up here who I could, like, be like, see this yeah. person. <laughs> like, you know, I want to speak to my manager so that I could get on. Because every time he attempts to listen to his
1: music... um. His Mozart. there
2: it's like something goes wrong. Either it's replaced by the computer or his crew interrupts him. He's just a man that's screaming, "Being like, I, I yeah. want a manager. I want a manager. Oh shit! <laughs> I'm the manager. And I can't
0: tell these people to fuck off." I think that's Damn. a really good answer for this week. Actually, I I reckon that that is exactly the energy that he exudes in throughout this episode. Strong
1: textual analysis as well, taking it from a different direction. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I w- I was just going to say. Um, it's uh it's Worf because Warf Worf literally doesn't want to be there at the start and he goes he specifically goes to see his manager at the start of the episode. That's how the episode starts with four people going to see their manager.
1: Oh my goodness, that's so true. So, Worf would definitely go to see and Worf like has made it canonical that he would go to see his manager just as an excuse to try and get out of spending time with his son. Yeah, exactly. That's how much he wants to talk to the manager.
0: But to be fair, that's that's different. That's him wanting to talk to his manager rather than wanting to talk to the manager of an establishment he is patra- patronizing
1: or wanting to talk to his child's manager. Yeah.
0: But I think I think Nathan's idea uh, uh, answer of Picard is is the best yeah, one for this. Um yeah. well, unless we've got anything else we want to say about this episode, then I think we're about done. Um next week we'll be back and hopefully you will have uh, been in touch with us listeners because as you as we said last week we are looking for you to tell us which episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine I should be watching that will make me a fan of DS9 uh, so if Yay! you get in touch with us on Instagram at Redshirtscast or on Twitter at Redshirtscast or send us an email to redshirtscast at gmail.com uh, and let us know which are the three episodes of DS9 you think are a must for me to watch to make me a fan uh, and we'll be watching one of those next week uh, but otherwise all that's left to say is live long and prosper and goodbye goodbye
2: goodbye